The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Moroccan solidarity for our beautiful opening music. Welcome to our annual Labor Day service. Who'd have thought this time last year that we would still need to be doing this online? A warm welcome to all of you and special thanks to our musicians, Rock and Solidarity, San Francisco's Labor Choir, directed by Pat Wynn, and to Mark Sumner, our music director and song leader today, and to our pianist, Bill Gans. Jonathan Silk, our AV and sound expert, Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong on camera, Wonder Dave, our worship associate today, Joe Chapeau, who is monitoring our chat and can help you with any problems you have getting connected today. Thomas Brown, helping us function in our building this morning. Carrie Steer Salazar, for the flowers we have decorating our space today. And Alex Starr, Les James, and Tom Brookshire, who will be hosting coffee hour. If you are with us for the first time, or even if you are a longtime member, I encourage you to download the order of service this morning so you can follow along. You can access it in the description of this video. It is posted in the chat and has been emailed to everyone who has signed up for our newsletter. Today's service, an annual tradition for our congregation, honors work and those who do it, and the contributions especially of organized labor to advancing social justice. We will begin by lighting a candle, as we have each week since the stay-at-home orders have been in place, in honor of all of you bringing your spirit into this place until such time that we might all be together again. Though we are not all here in person, let us light this candle in honor of the virtual presence of our members and guests here today. Welcome all. Step by step, the longest march can be won, can be won. Many stones can form an arch, singly on, singly on. And by union, what we will can be accomplished still. Drops of water turn a mill, singly on, singly on. Step by step, the longest march can be won, can be won. Many stones can form an arch, singly on, singly on. And by union, what we will can be accomplished still. Drops of water turn a mill. Singly non, singly non.
please say with me the words of our chalice lighting printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Hello everyone, I am Dave. I am today's worship associate. Uh, if this is your first time watching, thank you for joining us. You can follow along in your order of service, which is available in the description of this video, like right down there, uh, and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can get by signing up through our connection form that is in the order of service and video description. Uh, the order of service also lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which takes place after the service. Please join in anything that interests you. I want to call your attention to all the announcements shown in the order of service, especially to our small group ministry program, which is currently inviting participants for our 2021-2022 sessions starting soon. We are planning both online and in-person groups, Small group ministry offers a wonderful opportunity to get to know others in our community in an emotionally safe, welcoming space led by trained facilitators discussing issues of spiritual importance and sharing our personal stories. Our offering today will go to the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Today's Poor People's Campaign is inspired by the campaign of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was leading at the time of his assassination over 50 years ago. Centering the voices of those most impacted, it organizes across lines of partisanship, identity, and faith to address poverty and inequality, systemic racism, and ecological devastation. The war economy and militarism and the reactionary ideology of Christian nationalism. Thank you in advance for your generosity. So let's center ourselves now in our worship by singing our meditation and breathing. The words are printed in your order of service you can listen to our song leader if this is your first time singing it, uh, and then join in as we sing it through a few times together. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in,
Please join me as we say together our covenant and sing our doxology. The words of the covenant are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek truth in freedom, and to help one another. From all that dwell below the skies, let songs of hope and faith arise. Let peace, goodwill on earth be sung through every land by every tongue. Todos bajo el gran sol, surya esperanza, fe, amor, verdad y belleza cantando de cada tierra, cada voz. We will begin our ritual of remembrance and commitment. Recognizing there is human suffering all over the world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of three such forms of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have since July of 2019 for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the mounting trauma to children separated from their families, for all people held with our charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances. In this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring the gong seven times, for this week of days in which human dignity has been dismissed and to acknowledge our responsibility for that as residents of this country. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 65,876 people are known to have died of COVID-19 globally, 8,651 in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses, each one of these people precious and worthy of health and safety. And we hold with gratitude all who are working around the world to produce and distribute vaccines and all other efforts to support greater health, survival, and immunity from the virus. And with special honor on this day for celebrating workers. Finally, we ring our gong for all who died or are struggling to survive due to wildfires, hurricanes, floods, and other devastating impacts of human-caused climate change. May we find our humanity and knit it back together. May we cultivate reason and humility at a minimum. May we find an effective means to demand and achieve the rational and compassionate use of resources. So much to remember and hold. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our hearts and may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
walk in solidarity. Please join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer. In the many names of that which each of us holds sacred, let us honor the memories of those lost and harmed. In these times when we are facing so many difficulties and disasters simultaneously, some of which last year we hope to see more improvement than we have achieved, and some new, like the devastating betrayal of the Supreme Court to stop Texas from banning abortion. May we find the courage to keep resisting and moving forward, and the best ways each of us may contribute to that. Knowing that resistance is necessary, but not the end goal, may we stay focused on what could be growing our power and resisting despair. Knowing that resistance is for the long haul, may we find the humility and patience not to see ourselves as saviors, but as workers, each with necessary tasks to perform and worthy of sleep, breaks, and simple pleasures. Knowing that resistance is often painful, May we be kind and generous to all who work beside us. Knowing that resistance is stressful and sometimes frightening, may we find solace and even joy with those we love in art and music and worshiping together. And knowing that resistance may fail, may we live conscious of the ultimate value of each moment of our lives. Amen. Please join me for a minute of silent contemplation. Thank you. Today's offering will be given to the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. In my opinion, a model for the type of organizing desperately needed today in the labor movement and elsewhere in social justice activism. Striving to bring together all people negatively impacted by the crises created or exacerbated by capitalism grounded in an interfaith culture of welcome, hospitality, and disciplined teamwork, respectful of all who do the work, not just the talk. <laughs> 
centering the voices and knowledge of those made experts by lived experience, rather than those who study and debate the issues in universities, state houses, think tanks, and boardrooms. And thus far, uncompromising in its demands upon those in power, regardless of political affiliation. And all that with joyous music, beautiful art, and genuinely inspirational speeches. May we give generously. This poem, Path, is by Jack Hirschman, former poet lord of San Francisco and fierce advocate for the working class. He passed away on August 22nd at the age of 87. Go to your broken heart. If you think you don't have one, get one. To get one, be sincere. Learn sincerity of intent by letting life enter you because you're helpless, really, to do otherwise. Even as you try escaping, let it take you and tear you open like a letter sent, like a sentence inside you've waited for all your life, though you've committed nothing. Let it send you up. Let it break your heart. Brokenheartedness is the beginning of all real reception. The ear of humility hears beyond the gates. See the gates opening. Feel your hands going akimbo on your hips, your mouth opening like a womb and giving birth to your voice for the first time. Go singing, whirling into the glory of being ecstatically simple. Write the poem. Thank you. And let's welcome back Rock and Solidarity. Thank you, Jack Hirschman.
Kings is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of armies magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old. These poetic, powerful words from the labor anthem, Solidarity Forever, were written by Ralph Chaplin in 1915, inspired by the resolve of hungry, homeless miners enduring a deadly strike in West Virginia. Solidarity Forever is now sung routinely at the end of union conventions. But I have to agree with these words that Ralph Chaplin wrote very late in his life. I didn't write Solidarity Forever for ambitious politicians or for job-hungry labor fakers seeking a ride on the gravy train. He used as a singing commercial for a unionism that uses million-dollar slush funds to persuade their congressional office boys to do chores for them." Unquote. Chaplin wasn't interested in that type of complicit power, but in the kind that would truly birth a new world from the ashes of the old. So am I. And I will take off my mask, which I am allowed to do when I preach. Thank you. While I have always loved the metaphor in our hands, long a symbol both of work and of power, and have used it a lot in the past, today I'd rather say more inclusively, in ourselves is placed a power. Yet I am still deeply moved by all the verses of solidarity forever, though the language may seem old-fashioned in style, and even in content, after all, work has changed a lot since 1915, I believe their message still fully applies. For many years, I was immersed in day-to-day -day union activism. Like Chaplin, I had my own internal complaints. Many unions behave more like insurance companies than militant organizations for social justice. Many, though there are a lot of honorable exceptions, discourage member participation and limit their political action to timid lobbying and getting out the vote for Democratic Party politicians who almost always betray their interests. Some still discriminate against women and people of color. Some used to be controlled by organized crime. They have often failed to be allies to others or even to come to each other's aid as fully as the word solidarity demands. However, the movement has improved throughout my life, tackling, such as tackling internal racism and other bigotries, fought for by the large numbers of members directly impacted. There are new trends, such as bargaining for the common good, less support for the worst of US foreign policy. Most criminal corruption is gone. Public support for labor has increased dramatically in the recent years, but often labor still fails to use the power it has. And we all suffer as a result. Nonetheless, 
the history of the labor movement, contained almost the only positive images I could find for people who look like me, including among my own ancestors. Discovering these figures brought me out of the deep depression I felt as a teenager in the late 60s and early 70s, who believed that nothing I could do would ever be sufficient to make up for my unchosen membership and at least two of the most oppressive groups I felt in human history, U.S. Americans and white people. Getting union jobs saved my life. As a young adult battling mental health issues, still there, though I managed to hide them well, I found it hard to hold down a job, never lasting long enough to gain competence and acceptance. Union jobs protected me, even if grudgingly, long enough to succeed. Union work brought me out of a period of poverty and allowed me to raise a family under so-called middle-class conditions. That, in turn, gave me the resources to retire early to pursue ministry. Whatever the labor movement is or isn't, I'm profoundly grateful to its role in my own life and my loyalty to the best of its historical and contemporary vision, exemplified in the words of Solidarity Forever, is about as close to absolute as humanly possible. So what exactly is labor's power? And why should we care? Here are the two most important reasons. First, there is no other institution that represents working people solely as workers. Despite what may get taught in college these days, workers, that is, those who are employed to create or deliver the products and services all of us depend on, are the vast majority of society. By that definition, Almost all of us are active workers, would-be workers, or retired workers, whether we think of ourselves in that way or not. Workers are of all races, genders, ages, nationalities, faiths, and political views. As such, they are often divided, but objectively they share a common interest in protecting their jobs, raising their pay and benefits, improving their working conditions, and creating a society that treats them with dignity. This collective self-interest, when channeled into effective labor action, tends to, tends to benefit us all. It is why many of us still have weekends, vacations, overtime pay, and laws that protect our health and safety. Yes, such benefits have been greatly reduced in recent years, 
But the fact that they exist at all is thanks to unions. Companies often provide benefits just to keep unions out. They would have no reason to otherwise. And since unions protect their own members on the job, we all benefit by the continuity of skill and experience and by the activism of those workers who enjoy a greater freedom to speak out. Second, work is the foundation of society. As we have experienced dramatically during COVID and climate change disasters, many workers are indeed absolutely essential. Disrupt the regular supply chain of goods and services and everything falls apart. This reality is labor's secret weapon, its source of real power. Dissatisfied individuals may be able to quit their jobs, and that might lead to a slightly better job, but changes nothing else. However, when huge numbers of people withhold their labor simultaneously, the disruption to order is so great that employers and governments may be compelled to give in to their demands. The threat of striking, even though rarely used, is what forces employers to bargain. And while I admit this is a fantasy in the present moment, I bet a general strike would end the filibuster and get the PRO Act, the Voting Rights Act, the infrastructure bills, just immigration reform, Medicare for all, and a Green New Deal passed. To their credit, most unions today support such changes officially, but they have yet to exercise their collective power to make them happen. Our offering today went to the Poor People's Campaign which works closely with labor unions. We, and labor, should emulate its approach. Too often, we are taught that real power is found only in hoarded gold, and history tends to support that conclusion. Thus, we limit our demands to what we think the hoarders of gold or their puppets in office, might tolerate or concede. But as Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without a fight, never has and never will. The campaign attempts to unite all of us who do not have much hoarded gold to support each other in achieving our common interests, for example, demanding an end to the filibuster, Unlike most labor leaders, it is not accepting liberal excuses. The campaign challenges the contradictory but common belief that many of us already have too much power, pointing out that half the US population is either already living in poverty or at immediate risk for it, and those who are not are hardly safe from current realities. 
If nothing else, COVID and climate disaster should make it painfully obvious that though some of us do have more power to cause harm than others, very few of us have enough power right now to make any difference in humanity's downward slide to barbarism and oblivion. The clock is ticking. We need to embrace the idea of building collective power organized from the bottom up. This is our greatest spiritual as well as practical imperative. I have two favorite quotations. The first is from the great Jewish philosopher, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Some are guilty, all are responsible. Sure, all of us can improve, but when it comes to the great evils of our day, those with the hoarded gold call the shots. We're just pawns in their game, whichever teams we play on. However, we are responsible for ending the game. Frankly, we can do very little about poverty, inequality, systemic racism, environmental devastation, or militarism only by trying to change personal habits or by discussing what could be done to solve these problems if only there were people in power willing to take the necessary actions. Only a massive, well-organized group of ordinary people with at least tacit majority support can create a truly different reality. Let's stop wasting our time thinking the hoarders of gold can be won to the side of justice and morality. My second favorite quote is from Friedrich Engels. Freedom is the recognition of necessity. None of us are free until all of us are. The labor slogan, an injury to one is an injury to all, is literally accurate if you leave out the hoarders of gold, and truly even for them in the long run. If you doubt this, think of the evils the Poor People's Campaign is fighting. You may benefit in small ways from a few of them, but your net loss is always far greater. A society in which you are deprived of basic necessities like affordable health care, in which your children or grandchildren will suffer far more than yourself, and in which their children might never exist. Until we are willing to do whatever it takes to end the systems and enforce these injustices, our hope for change is mere sentimentality. Only when we recognize that necessity will we be free to release our courage, compassion, and heartfelt desire to birth a new world from the smoldering ashes of this one. May it be so and not a minute too late. Happy Labor Day.
Thank you. Mark and Bill, I know we will go on. I ask you to imagine each person who has been present in person or online at today's service and each person you will encounter throughout the week as you navigate the world in these strange times. Each in our own ways we are all doing the work of the world, tending to others in the hospital or the home, delivering food, growing it, ringing up groceries, teaching children, fighting fires, troubleshooting tech problems, attempting to resolve disputes fairly and justly, 
playing music, making visual art, entertaining others, building, cooking, cleaning, repairing, writing, speaking, reporting. Nothing gets done without us. In ourselves is placed a power. It is greater than their hoarded gold. Let us all go forth, inspired to use it for the common good. Amen. This church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. In our hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of armies magnified a thousandfold, we can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old. These poetic, powerful words from the labor anthem, Solidarity Forever, were written by Ralph Chaplin in 1915, inspired by the resolve 
of hungry, homeless miners enduring a deadly strike in West Virginia. Solidarity Forever is now sung routinely at the end of union conventions. But I have to agree with these words that Ralph Chaplin wrote very late in his life. I didn't write Solidarity Forever for ambitious politicians or for job-hungry labor fakers seeking a ride on the gravy train. He used as a singing commercial for a unionism that uses million-dollar slush funds to persuade their congressional office boys to do chores for them." Unquote. Chaplin wasn't interested in that type of complicit power, but in the kind that would truly birth a new world from the ashes of the old. So am I. And I will take off my mask, which I am allowed to do when I preach. Thank you. While I have always loved the metaphor in our hands, long a symbol both of work and of power, and have used it a lot in the past, today I'd rather say more inclusively, in ourselves is placed a power. Yet I am still deeply moved by all the verses of solidarity forever. Though the language may seem old-fashioned in style, and even in content, after all, work has changed a lot since 1915, I believe their message still fully applies. For many years, I was immersed in day-to-day -day union activism. Like Chaplin, I had my own internal complaints. Many unions behave more like insurance companies than militant organizations for social justice. Many, though there are a lot of honorable exceptions, discourage member participation and limit their political action to timid lobbying and getting out the vote for Democratic Party politicians who almost always betray their interests. Some still discriminate against women and people of color. Some used to be controlled by organized crime. They have often failed to be allies to others or even to come to each other's aid as fully as the word solidarity demands. However, the movement has improved throughout my life, tackling such as tackling internal racism and other bigotries, fought for by the large numbers of members directly impacted, there are new trends such as bargaining for the common good, less support for the worst of US foreign policy. Most criminal corruption is gone. Public support for labor has increased dramatically in the recent years but often labor still fails to use the power it has. And we all suffer as a result. Nonetheless, the history of the labor movement contained almost the only positive images I could find for people who look like me, including among my own ancestors. Discovering these figures brought me out of the deep depression I felt as a teenager in the late 60s and early 70s, who believed that nothing I could do would ever be sufficient 
to make up for my unchosen membership and at least two of the most oppressive groups I felt in human history, US Americans and white people. Getting union jobs saved my life. As a young adult battling mental health issues, still there, though I managed to hide them well, I found it hard to hold down a job, never lasting long enough to gain competence and acceptance. Union jobs protected me, even if grudgingly, long enough to succeed. Union work brought me out of a period of poverty and allowed me to raise a family under so-called middle-class conditions. That, in turn, gave me the resources to retire early to pursue ministry. Whatever the labor movement is or isn't, I'm profoundly grateful to its role in my own life and my loyalty to the best of its historical and contemporary vision, exemplified in the words of Solidarity Forever, is about as close to absolute as humanly possible. So what exactly is labor's power? And why should we care? Here are the two most important reasons. First, there is no other institution that represents working people solely as workers. Despite what may get taught in college these days, workers, that is, those who are employed to create or deliver the products and services all of us depend on, are the vast majority of society. By that definition, almost all of us are active workers, would-be workers, or retired workers, whether we think of ourselves in that way or not. Workers are of all races, genders, ages, nationalities, faiths, and political views. As such, they are often divided, but objectively they share a common interest in protecting their jobs, raising their pay and benefits, improving their working conditions, and creating a society that treats them with dignity. This collective self-interest, when channeled into effective labor action, Tends to, tends to benefit us all. It is why many of us still have weekends, vacations, overtime pay, and laws that protect our health and safety. Yes, such benefits have been greatly reduced in recent years, but the fact that they exist at all is thanks to unions. Companies often provide benefits just to keep unions out. They would have no reason to otherwise. And since unions protect their own members on the job, we all benefit by the continuity of skill and experience and by the activism of those workers who enjoy a greater freedom to speak out.
Second, work is the foundation of society. As we have experienced dramatically during COVID and climate change disasters, many workers are indeed absolutely essential. Disrupt the regular supply chain of goods and services and everything falls apart. This reality is labor's secret weapon, its source of real power. Dissatisfied individuals may be able to quit their jobs, and that might lead to a slightly better job, but changes nothing else. However, when huge numbers of people withhold their labor simultaneously, the disruption to order is so great that employers and governments may be compelled to give in to their demands. The threat of striking, even though rarely used, is what forces employers to bargain. And while I admit this is a fantasy in the present moment, I bet a general strike would end the filibuster and get the PRO Act, the Voting Rights Act, the infrastructure bills, just immigration reform, Medicare for all, and a Green New Deal passed. To their credit, most unions today support such changes officially, but they have yet to exercise their collective power to make them happen. Our offering today went to the Poor People's Campaign, which works closely with labor unions. We, and labor, should emulate its approach. Too often, we are taught that real power is found only in hoarded gold, and history tends to support that conclusion. Thus, we limit our demands to what we think the hoarders of gold or their puppets in office might tolerate or concede. But as Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without a fight, never has and never will. The campaign attempts to unite all of us who do not have much hoarded gold to support each other in achieving our common interests for example, demanding an end to the filibuster. Unlike most labor leaders, it is not accepting liberal excuses. The campaign challenges the contradictory but common belief that many of us already have too much power, pointing out that half the US population is either already living in poverty or at immediate risk for it and those who are not are hardly safe from current realities. If nothing else, COVID and climate disaster should make it painfully obvious that though some of us do have more power to cause harm than others, very few of us have enough power right now to make any difference in humanity's downward slide to barbarism and oblivion. The clock is ticking. 
we need to embrace the idea of building collective power organized from the bottom up. This is our greatest spiritual as well as practical imperative. I have two favorite quotations. The first is from the great Jewish philosopher, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Some are guilty, all are responsible. Sure, all of us can improve, but when it comes to the great evils of our day, those with the hoarded gold call the shots. We're just pawns in their game, whichever teams we play on. However, we are responsible for ending the game. Frankly, we can do very little about poverty, inequality, systemic racism, environmental devastation, or militarism only by trying to change personal habits or by discussing what could be done to solve these problems if only there were people in power willing to take the necessary actions. Only a massive, well-organized group of ordinary people with at least tacit majority support can create a truly different reality. Let's stop wasting our time thinking the hoarders of gold can be won to the side of justice and morality. My second favorite quote is from Friedrich Engels. Freedom is the recognition of necessity. None of us are free until all of us are. The labored slogan, an injury to one is an injury to all, is literally accurate if you leave out the hoarders of gold, and truly even for them in the long run. If you doubt this, think of the evils the Poor People's Campaign is fighting. You may benefit in small ways from a few of them, but your net loss is always far greater. A society in which you are deprived of basic necessities like affordable health care in which your children or grandchildren will suffer far more than yourself, and in which their children might never exist. Until we are willing to do whatever it takes to end the systems and enforce these injustices, our hope for change is mere sentimentality. Only when we recognize that necessity will we be free to release our courage, compassion, and heartfelt desire to birth a new world from the smoldering ashes of this one. May it be so and not a minute too late. Happy Labor Day. Thank you. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.